Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. What is the abomination of desolation? That is the question that we will answer on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, alongside my co-host, Trevin Wax. And today we're discussing a passage that, you know, gets some end times lovers a little riled up, makes, uh, makes the junkies start uh, creating charts and <laughs> spinning gets their the wheels. wheels spinning a little bit, yeah. And uh, it's actually a passage that someone brought up to me recently. I was teaching uh, on the story of the Bible at uh, my church, and I, you know, opened up a Q&A at the end, and somebody just randomly asked what this is. And I felt like I answered it pretty well, but I, I prefaced it by saying there's like 20 different ways that you could possibly... Uh, do this, and there's a lot of different versions of it and stuff like that. So I ended up really, really couching it in a lot of language that didn't actually answer the question. So I thought, you know what, this is probably a question other people ask and something that we need to figure out for ourselves, worst case scenario. So Yeah, that's right. Uh, lots of questions here about what the abomination of desolation is or who the abomination of desolation is. Is Jesus talking about something his original audience would see was he talking about something in the future? These are all questions that uh, uh, rise up when, when we're talking about this. So uh, let me read the passage. This is Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22 in the CSB. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For at that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because of the elect. Okay, so there's probably even more here to talk about than just the abomination of desolation, but we're going to... Yes, and we need to come back, and we need to yeah, do another... Do Remember we say that? Yeah. How many episodes have we said that, and we haven't done it yet? No, because I keep forgetting to write them down. <laughs> um, so we got three major views here. Um, I would say probably on the front, we said, you know, what is the abomination or who is? Uh, these three views are all pretty much going to say that the abomination of desolation is an event. It's a what. Uh, sometimes it gets tied to the Antichrist as, like, that's who he is. Uh, but when we read the text, I think we see more more likely it's maybe connected to an Antichrist in some way, but not describing uh, that person themselves. So uh, view number one uh, is that the abomination of desolation was the destruction of the second Jewish temple in 168 BC. Uh, so this view is held uh, mostly by rabbis. Even back in Jesus's day, there's writings about this uh, and by many Jewish leaders still today. And they would say that this Daniel 9 prophecy says, you know, the prophet Daniel spoke of this. This comes from Daniel 9. Uh, that, that this prophecy mentioned by Jesus here was actually fulfilled uh, during the Jewish Maccabean revolt uh, long before, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. And so these Jews were fighting for religious liberty against the Greeks, against the Greek empire. The, the, uh, the Greek king uh, tore down the second Jewish temple and built an altar to Zeus there. Uh, and so basically that, that's kind of what this language talks about is this, this person who destroys uh, God's holy place and sets up an idol. 
And uh, so they would say, yeah, this this has to do with 168 BC, uh, back in the Second Jewish Temple area. So basically, given that you know Jewish leaders are largely holding this view, uh, they don't really care what Jesus thinks about this topic at all. Uh, but it does actually kind of play into these other views uh, as part of these other views, or potentially uh, informs these other views. Yeah. So, so they think this prophecy was fulfilled before Jesus. Right. Yep. This. Okay. Yep. The second view is that the abomination of desolation. Uh, that Jesus is referring to here refers to the Roman destruction of the Jewish temple in AD 70, so about a generation after Jesus. Um, This view is going to agree with the first, that it seems pretty clear in Daniel's vision that the abomination of desolation is the destruction of the Jewish temple. At at least a lot of people would agree with that That, on this view. That's right. Uh, But the the argument is that Jesus' reference to the prophecy is about what's going to happen in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed the temple. Um, They they. Now, people that adhere to this view might disagree on whether it's a second fulfillment after the temple destruction in 168 BC. Uh, but the argument here is that Jesus seems to indicate that his original hearers are going to see this event themselves. They need to be prepared to flee when it happens. Uh, so here's the thing there are people that ha- hold to this view that agree that Daniel's prophecy may have indeed already happened, like the view number one. But that he is, Jesus is now preparing them for something similar, and that Daniel's prophecy lets them know what it is. Um, interestingly enough, something like this actually happened within a decade of Jesus' death. Um, in AD 40, uh, the Roman emperor, I guess it's Caligula, mm-hmm. is the that's way. That's how I would say it in my, uh, with all my Latin training. That, that's right. Um, uh, tried to put a anyway the Roman emperor tried to put a statue of himself in the temple. Now he was killed before he could do it, but he was trying to, and uh, that happened just I mean within years of Jesus making this prophecy. Uh, it was eighty seventy though when Jerusalem fell. That's when Roman legions surrounded the temple. That's when they put whatever they wanted in, in the temple. So, in oh. um, history does record you've got historians telling us that when the temple fell in eighty seventy, Jews and Christians did really quote-unquote, run for the hills out of Rome and were scattered during the siege. So uh, Luke 20, Luke 21's account of this gives that command. So interesting. Yeah, it tells them to flee. Yeah, flee. Yes. To okay, view number three um, is that the abomination of desolation is actually enacted by a future Antichrist uh, during or around the Great Tribulation, the so-called Great Tribulation. Uh, so I think all views, uh, we could probably say all views generally agree that the abomination of desolation has to do with the destruction of the Jewish temple. I think the Daniel prophecy is clear about that. This one's clear about that, about it being something about uh, the holy place, the holy temple. Uh, and they largely agree that there's some sort of lawless man who's going to destroy this temple and set up an idol of himself. I think the prophecy is clear about that. Um, even when we look historically, we see that. Uh, and so this view, um, this third view, uh, that it has to do with some future event that hasn't happened yet, as we record this podcast today anyway, uh, that this view is popular. You know, it's kind of in the futurist dispensational circles. It's really popular there. Uh, they say that this hasn't happened yet, but the, it also refers to these other prophecies in Ezekiel and elsewhere, um, saying that there's going to be a third temple that's built later on, um, around the time that this tribulation happens that kind of enacts Jesus coming back. And that Jews will actually begin to perform proper temple sacrifices again uh, for a seven-year period, right? So right now, the Jews say, you know, there's no temple for us to do proper sacrifices in right now. But one day, this will be built uh, during a seven-year peace treaty in the Middle East, kind of around the end times. Uh, So the temple will then be destroyed by this Antichrist. He will build an idol of himself in its place and demand uh, worldwide worship. Uh, They would use Revelation 13, 14 uh, to talk about this uh, or to defend this view. And they believe that that discusses, you know, that the Antichrist is forcing Christians to worship this idol. 
Uh, so Revelation 13 is kind of a key uh, way to understand this passage. So that's the three views. First one uh, happened in 160 BC, and that's it. Second one happened in AD 70. And uh, third one, it hasn't happened yet, basically. So, okay. So what, putting those views out on the table there, out on your futuristic chart of uh, end times, where, where do you land on this? So um, this is not going to surprise anybody. I think all three views have merits oh, <laughs> in their really? own ways. No, really? Um, so I think, okay, so we have to say— Pick a side. <laughs> we have to say that um, it's an historical fact that the Second Temple was destroyed— that Jewish people did interpret this that way. I think if you look at the events surrounding that uh, temple in 168 BC being destroyed, you see the idol being built. You see some pretty clear language there about that prophecy being fulfilled there. But you're um, not saying Jesus was referring to the past event when he was making a prophecy about the future. Well, Are potentially, you? what I would say, yeah, <laughs> what I would say, well, not now that you're shaming me in front of everybody. <laughs> no, I'm just saying you are a Christian, right? <laughs> I am a Christian. Okay. That's right. So okay, I'm not good. taking the first view completely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. So, um, so it's possible that Jesus was talking about this, uh, and that he was also talking about this AD 70 temple being destroyed. Uh, so, you know, it's probably some sort of a, it could be some sort of a dual fulfillment role or Jesus is saying, Hey, here's something that you're going to be familiar with. Daniel nine, this happened. You guys remember the Maccabean revolt in 168, this type of thing is going to happen again. I think there's some, some point there, whether like, like I said, it's dual fulfillment or it's some sort of a type of prophecy that could happen multiple times. Um, but I do think potentially that view number three could be true here. I mean, you could argue that uh, John in Revelation might be speaking of Nero or might be speaking of a future leader that's going to do the same sort of thing, right? So it may be that John is saying, hey, Jesus's warnings about this are going to come true later at some other time, not that they've already happened. Uh, you know, if Revelation was was written in 65 AD, then this still would be a future uh, fulfillment according to Revelation, right? Um, so I can't fully dismiss view number three, because at the end of this prophecy, Jesus does talk about coming back. Because you're putting together what Jesus says here with what John says in Revelation. Yeah, and right. the fact that, and, and even the fact that in this passage, Jesus says, I'm going to come back after this. Okay, okay. Right? And so he hasn't come back yet. So that's the hard thing about saying, okay, it's strictly one or two. Well, it's strictly two uh, in the Christian sense, because he didn't come back right afterward, right? So there's something going on there um, about him saying there's some sort of future thing. Now, what I think he's probably saying is... Um, you know, I'm going to come back after this happens. So once this happens, just know I'm coming back sometime after that. But even Jesus says, I don't know the day or the time that I'm coming back. So it'd be hard to say that he's predicting it directly in that sense. But I think Jesus is saying this is going to happen sometime in the future. And it's going to be something like uh, what happened before. Okay. That's my best muddled, wishy-washy view on that. Okay. Um, so if I have to pick one of the three here, um, instead of trying to combine them the way you have just done. We'll let the readers decide whether or not you did a great job of that. Just like uh, you said, let the reader let the understand. reader understand the <laughs> listener, the podcast listener. Um, I, I'm going to go with the second interpretation, primarily that this is that Jesus is speaking primarily about the fall of Jerusalem. I believe that he is warning the people about the judgment coming upon Jerusalem. Um, but at the same time, I am not going to rule out aspects of the third view that there's a future element to this, because a lot of times with prophecies, you do see this, this dual fulfillment yep. where there's an initial fulfilling of a prophecy that then has a, as a, a more expansive fulfilling of a prophecy later. I mean, you see that with the, the new Testament, the way that some prophecies are applied to Jesus. And so um, I'm always careful with prophetic language, with apocalyptic language. I don't want to narrow the meaning too um, um, specifically, I, I I think it's important that we hold um, that that 
I, I'm, I'm not saying that you can take the prophecy and make it mean whatever you want it to mean, but that we've got to be careful that we don't narrow unnecessarily um, uh, part uh, parts of the prophecy. So, but what what I think what you see here then is that you find what you find in a lot of apocalyptic literature, uh, a number of images. They refer to different events. They're all pressed together in one account. But the immediate application of Jesus's words about the abomination of desolation, in particular, refer to the fall of Jerusalem. When, it, when he says, some of you will see this, those kind of ideas, when he says yes, kind and of, when he kind says, language. let the reader understand, yeah, which I'm assuming he, Mark is, uh, or Matthew is inserting there because he's the saying the reader. Can't understand, yeah. Right. Um, but so, so what, another question, why are the people instructed to run? Well, Jerusalem is facing God's judgment. The abomination of desolation, these, these pagan images in the temple, that is the sign that God is acting in judgment. And Jesus is warning people about the destruction of the city. So it is possible, even likely, some might say that some of the aspects of this chapter refer to events at the end of time. But I, I think we're on more solid exegetical ground if we stay close to the historical context here. We focus on what Jesus is describing as the destruction of the temple. I mean, that is the question that starts off the beginning of this chapter, right? Yeah. The disciples ask specifically about this. Um, and the end of the age, which in their mind would not have been the end of the world right now, but the dividing line between the current situation and God's future plans for his people. So if you set that in the context of what the disciples are asking about at the beginning of this chapter, I think you have to take the immediate application to mean AD 70. But like you, I probably won't give as much attention to the futuristic potentials yeah. of, of this passage, but I, I don't want to rule those out as well. So you're a slightly more committed wishy-washy view. No, like I would say if you have, have to, if I have to pick, mm-hmm. I'm picking view number two, Okay, not ruling out that aspects of view number three could potentially be true. And if I have to pick, I am not picking because I like my mixed view. So. <laughs> okay. So, so let's, how, how would you preach or teach yeah. this? So this one's tough, right? Because uh, we just talked about all the different ways that this could be fulfilled and how the prophecies work and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's probably hard in sermon prep to do real justice to this view without getting so deep in the minutia that you lose people and it's not really applicable anymore. Uh, so actually, I'm going to agree with what Dan Doriani has said on this, and I'm just going to read his quote, and that's going to be my application, okay? So Dan Doriani says, A wise preacher dealing with this passage may find particular value in focusing on this point of the abomination of desolation. When Jesus gives instruction concerning future events, his purpose is not to satiate our curiosity or answer all of our speculative questions. Instead, his purpose is to protect and guide and instruct his people. Jesus gave relatively little attention to the question when, and much toward the question, how shall we live faithfully? Preaching on such texts today should be shaped by Jesus' concern for the welfare and endurance of his church. So focusing on that idea of, hey, I am going to come back, a lot of bad things are going to happen, but you remain faithful and committed to me. I think that's a great way to apply this text. What about I, you? I don't think I could say it better than Dan Doriani there, because I, his focus is in the right place. Um, I, I, there's there's a place to be for, for a lot of discussion on the details and the minutia, like you said. Um, that's generally not when you're preaching. Right. So uh, focus on the big picture um, how we live faithfully in the age and how we read the signs of the times. I mean, all of that, I think, is involved in this. But um, but what, what faithfulness is going to look like as we wait Christ's coming. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Well, thank you all uh, for hopping on. Thanks, Trevin, as always, for hosting with me. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages, but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.